This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as a senior pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. Welcome, everybody. Thanks so much for being with us. You can turn with me this morning to Galatians chapter 5. We're in a series of messages from Paul's letter to the Galatians. So, in the New Testament, you can turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. We'll be looking mainly at chapter 6, but if you don't have a copy of the Scriptures, if you'll raise your hand, our ushers will give you a free copy of the Bible so you can follow along this morning as we uh, look at this text. So, raise your hand and leave it up really high. I have the privilege this morning of reading God's holy and inspired word. We're going to begin reading in Galatians chapter 5, just for context, verse 25 and 26, and then we'll go into chapter 6 and read the first five verses. So join me as we read God's word this morning. Galatians 5, verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, chapter 6, verse 1. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ." For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Each will have to bear his own load. I think the main point today from our text for us, intended effect the Lord wants these verses to have on us, is to encourage us to carry the load and fulfill the law of Christ. Carry the load. We'll look at this in depth. And fulfill the law of Christ. In chapter 1, Paul said, The Lord Jesus has come to deliver us from this present evil age. The age we live in is characterized by evil. By the works of the flesh that we saw in chapter 5, verses 19 through 21 a few weeks ago. It's not a pretty list. It's not exhaustive. It talks about things like these. 
It includes things like the school shooting this week. Tragically, this is something that's happening in our society regularly. People are asking now, we're asking, how should we respond? We all want this to stop. So what are we going to do so this will never happen again? I hope someone can answer those questions. The writer of the book of Hebrews says, we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize, but one who in every respect has been tested as we are. We don't have a high priest. Jesus is our high priest. And he is not unable to sympathize. In every respect, he's been tested as we are. John Piper wrote this a few years ago, not, not this week about this shooting, but a, after a previous shooting. He says, mass murder is why Jesus came into the world the way he did. What kind of Savior do we need when our hearts are shredded by brutal loss? We need a suffering Savior. We need a Savior who has tasted the cup of horror we are being forced to drink. And that is how He came. He knew what this world needed. Not a comedian, not a sports hero, not a movie star, not a political genius, not a doctor, not even a pastor. The world needed what no mere man could do. The world needed a suffering sovereign. Mere suffering would not do. Mere sovereignty would not do. The one is not strong enough to save. The other is not weak enough to sympathize. So he came as who he was. The compassionate king. The crushed conqueror. The lamb-like lion. The suffering sovereign. Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was submissive like a lamb led to slaughter. He endured anguish. He was poured out in death. And now he has risen to help. No one else can love like he can love. No one else can heal like he can heal. No one else can save like he can save. I hope our leaders will respond wisely and stop these violent acts. I'm asking this morning, what can we do? I want to do something. You want to do something. Well, we can pray for them. We can pray for our leaders. We're encouraged to pray for them. We pray that they would have wisdom. And I think we can tell the world about this compassionate king, this crushed conqueror, this lamb-like lion, this suffering sovereign. We can tell the world about the Lord Jesus Christ who's come to deliver us from this present evil age. We can be a spirit-filled community that is not characterized by works of the flesh, but instead shows the result of the gospel, the good news about Christ, that shows the fruit of the Spirit 
to a grieving world around us. What matters is faith working through love. Faith working through love. And our 21st century America is, is a needy place for the gospel. This week just stirred my passion for mission, and I hope as we study this text today and the calling that we have, that we can see there is something we can do. We can believe. And we can work through love. In our text, Paul is dealing specifically with issues in the churches in Galatia, modern-day Turkey, which were the original audience for his letter. He's talking about walking and living by the Spirit in community. And he has their specific situation that we've been looking at closely over the last several months. He has that in mind. He says in verse 26, let's not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. He's explaining now the alternatives to these sinful responses. The fruit of the Spirit is love. It's not a feeling. Love is genuinely from the heart carrying the burdens of others. That's the message of this text today. This is how Spirit-filled people, by the grace of God, serve one another. How they keep in step with the Spirit in community. There are imperatives, exhortations, commands that Paul is giving in this text. And they illustrate how people who live and walk by the Spirit should relate together, should behave toward one another. He gives two categories. We'll have two points today. Two categories of exhortations for communities. It's not a private text. You can't apply this text privately without community. He gives two categories for communities. Number one, carry your brother's burdens. And number two, carry your own burden. Number one, carry your brother's burdens. Verse one, chapter six. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, any transgression, a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. You who are led by the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, should restore someone who has sinned in a spirit, with the Spirit, with the fruit of the Spirit, with gentleness. He, he's applying what he's been teaching to their specific situation. And he's, he's encouraging them to carry a burden. And that burden is the burden of a brother or a sister in the community who has sinned. They have a burden. It's their sin. When someone sins in a spiritual community, they should be gently restored by fellow believers. People of the Spirit are to live by the Spirit. 
And it, what it means is instead of envying one another, instead of thinking you're better than others, being conceited, provoking one another, they're to love one another. And so they fulfill the law of Christ. Verse 3 says, if, if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So it is possible to deceive ourselves in, the, in a spiritual community. It's possible to be deceived. In fact, self-deception is likely. Jeremiah 17 says, the heart is deceitful above all things. At the core of our being, of a sinner's being, even a justified sinner's being, is a powerful deceitfulness, and we're being warned about it in this text. And one example of self-deception is thinking you are Spirit-filled, thinking you are walking by the Spirit, but you are not. Thinking you're something when you are nothing. So we should pause for a minute and realize we're being called by Paul, we're being called by this text, by God's Word, to keep watch on ourselves, to test ourselves, to test our work. This is not uncommon in the New Testament, where Christians are called to evaluate, to examine themselves. Here specifically, is my behavior the work of the flesh or the fruit of the Spirit? Let's not become conceited. This is what it looks like. Let's not think we're something when we are nothing. Thinking too highly of ourselves, thinking we are led by the Spirit when we're not. In, in Galatia, the situation is someone is caught in sin. How does the community respond? Well, if, if they're responding in the flesh, works of the flesh, they'll be conceited. They'll think they're better than this person that has sinned. They'll provoke them by their response. Because they envy other people, they don't rejoice when they're doing well, but they rejoice when they fail. And back in chapter 5, verse 15, remember Paul said, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. That's what happens when behavior is motivated by the flesh and lacks the fruit of the Spirit. On the other hand, the fruit of the Spirit means there's, there's love and there's peace and there's gentleness, there's goodness and there's self-control or self-denial when someone else sins. So test yourself this morning. How do you respond? You can, you can evaluate this in, in your family life, in your marriage, in your relationship with your kids. How do you respond when they sin? But we... We're being encouraged to think about it in the context of a spiritual community, the church. When in this community, and we're keeping in step with the Spirit, and someone else is caught in, in a sin, it is my burden. I have to carry the load. I need to get my brother or my sister restored. That's my burden. That's the message of the text. Carry your brother's burden. 
when they sin, make it your business in that sense. I have got to get this person restored to fellowship with Christ. And I'm going to do this by the power of the Spirit, by the grace of God, with the fruit of the Spirit that isn't natural, beyond my ability, with gentleness and love, patience, joy, by the grace of God. When I'm, when I'm in the flesh, I think this is not my concern. And I, because I am filled with envy, I rejoice when they fail. I provoke them. I sin in response to their sin, and it makes it worse. We had a Super Bowl party at my house. Invited my family over. It was a low turnout. One kid, two grandkids. So we invited another friend and his family to join us. And I, I noticed my little grandson. You know, we have grandparent toys for all the grandkids when they come. They go right to them when they come and dump them out all over the house. And I noticed my grandson walking around because these, when these other kids came and kind of casually picking up his three favorite toys, you know, just like you do. And then he kind of casually and secretly took them over and hid them in a pillow, under a pillow on the couch. All was well until a fellow sinner discovered the treasure hidden under the pillow. And, and his response was not spirit-filled. <laughs> he provoked him. He grabbed it, and the fight ensued. You know, it was, it was messy. It was ugly. Welcome to the works of the flesh. You sin, I sin back. It's not, not exactly a spiritual community I'm observing on Super Bowl Sunday. And lacking the Spirit, that's how we tend to respond when other people sin, by sinning ourselves. It's the grace of God when we respond with love when other people sin. It's the fruit of the Spirit. What matters, Paul says, is faith working through love. And love isn't about how we feel. It's about how we care for each other in the community. People of the Spirit ought to bear others' burdens that are in the community. That's how you fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is a law of love. He loved us and He gave Himself for us. And if believers keep in step with the Spirit... They're, they're going to demonstrate this same self-sacrificial giving. That is what the Spirit does. So when the Spirit is present in power, you will see love like Christ. You will, you will see people bearing the burdens of others. And they will specifically restore people who fall or caught into sin. A, a truly spirit-filled community isn't a place where people are arrogant. It's not a place where they're irritated 
with one another and envying one another and provoking one another. It's a place where people are loved and they're cared for even when they sin. Obviously, people in a spiritual community are not perfect. You might want to write this down. People in a spiritual community, people in the church, people in churches are not perfect. This room is filled with wonderful people and every single one is a sinner. And so it's very important that we learn how to respond when other people sin. They're going to get their favorite toys and hide them under the pillow, aren't they? So there's going to be sin. And there's going to be those who don't respond well. The church is just not a community characterized by the absence of sin. There is no sense of that in the New Testament. And Paul's showing how love and peace and gentleness and self-denial and goodness work out in the life of a truly spirit-filled community when this sin inevitably occurs. It, it's all an illustration. Go back chapter 5, verse 13. It's an illustration of these verses. This is in context. You were called to freedom, brothers, only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is what it means to serve. Now we're looking at this is what it actually looks like. To serve one another through love, specifically when somebody sins. The goal is to build the other person up. The goal is not to bite them and devour them and consume each other. You who are spiritual, instead, should restore him. That's the same word used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament when in Ezra they talk about rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem that were torn down by the Babylonians. It's the same Greek word that is used by Matthew when he talks about James and John mending their nets. We're to restore them, like rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem, like mending a net so it'll do its job and catch the fish. In the same way, we're called to rebuild, to mend, to restore one another spiritually. Isn't that quite a vision? Wouldn't you like to have a community like that? Lord, fill us. We prayed this morning and sang, Lord, fill us with the Spirit. So, We'll be this kind of community, and it's just what the world needs that's grieving, that's dark, that's evil. Needs to see God. When someone else sins, we should think, this is my burden to carry. Notice that at verse 1, if anyone is caught, in any transgression, the, the verb means to be overtaken by sin. It's a reference 
to someone who has been taken by surprise by sin. It's not someone necessarily that is seeking out sin, but they find themselves caught in sin. It's their sin, and it's become known in the community. Will they, you know, they're vulnerable. Are they going to be scorned? Or are they going to be loved? Do you remember, uh, you may remember the, uh, the Scarlet Letter, a book written by Nathaniel Hawthorne. You may not know about that book. It's a classic. You probably should. But it's the, it, it's the story about a lady that commits adultery and is scorned by her spiritual community. It, it's a story about self-righteousness. It's a story that makes the church look very ugly. We, none of us like that kind of hypocrisy and conceit. The person caught in sin is in a vulnerable situation, and that is not how they should be treated. Not with a scarlet letter placed on them to punish them. Apparently, that, that wasn't something Nathaniel Hawthorne invented. That was something that he knew about. And we all know that that, that can be what takes place in the church. That's why Paul is writing this in this letter. Because it happens in the church. This person is a believer. They're caught in sin. They're in a vulnerable situation. They're guilty of sin. It's known by other people in the community. And the question is, how, how's the community going to respond? How are they going to respond? Sin attacks. And it attacks in an unanticipated way. And this person is caught in that and When we're walking by the Spirit and we become aware of a brother's sin, we have a burden. We have a burden to restore them. Carry your brother's burden. That's the message. You who are spiritual, you who are keeping in step with the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, living by the Spirit, this is not a special group. This isn't an elite group within the community. This isn't the Navy SEALs of the church. Paul is addressing the entire community. In, in Christ, you are all people of the Spirit. You receive the Spirit. You are called to be filled with the Spirit. You who are spiritual. This is the fruit of the Spirit. It is evident when somebody sins and they fail and they're restored with gentleness. It's the need of the hour and the Spirit provides it. Now, first of all, I want you to, before we transition to point two, just notice that there's an expectation that the Christian life is a community life. Our, our culture encourages individualistic lives. 
and even in the church, we tend to think of a fruitful Christian as someone who reads their Bible, they praise, they, they evangelize. That's a fruitful person. And if a person is faithful in these private devotions, we can, we can say they're, they're fruitful, even if they aren't serving other people in the context of this kind of community. But that's foreign to the New Testament. Here's what Paul Tripp says in his book, Lost in the Middle. The Bible always sees people in some kind of community with one another. Human life is about relationships, and relationships define human life. I'm never okay. No matter what I seem to be achieving, and no matter how happy and satisfied I am, if I am not living properly in the primary relationships in which God has placed me. Paul communicates this with thunderous clarity in Galatians 5.14. The entire law is summed up in a single command. And Tripp says, wouldn't you now expect him to say, love God, God above all else? But he doesn't. Instead, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Since we were created by God to be social beings and are invested by God with a moral responsibility to our neighbor, our calling to live in community is a primary way of understanding who we are and what we have been called to do. So I commend community groups to you because you are not called to live your Christian life alone. Let us not become conceited. Don't, don't have a sense that you are better than others or superior in any way. When, when, when we do that, we get irritated with others. We provoke them. It results in quarrels and fights. And we should not do this. The one who's keeping in step with the Spirit is different. They're different. Verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now Paul takes it to the next level. He takes another step. He broadens the burden beyond just sin. And now he just says, bear one another's burdens. It's a more general exhortation. Care even more deeply for others. It means helping our brothers and sisters in Christ carry their load in a broad sense, helping them maybe with their finances. We heard a testimony this morning. Thank you, those of you who helped financially. Thank you for those diapers and wipes. That's, that's the spirit at work in the community. Maybe someone is lonely and they just need help finding friends. Maybe they're sick and they literally need you to carry their load. Maybe, maybe their issue is spiritual and they need encouragement. Maybe they need counsel. We are called to lift the loads of the weak and the needy. My, my assistant texted me yesterday when I was working on sermon preparation 
And I quote, just to encourage me, she texted me and said, better be a good sermon tomorrow. (laughs) Tears, laughter, an amazing illustration about the best assistant ever. Deeply moving when I received that text. Helped me so much. I was working on this part of the sermon. I thought, you are a perfect illustration. (laughs) Thank you so much for this text. I need an illustration. I told her, I'm going to embarrass you tomorrow. (laughs) Megan is a spirit-filled believer. She is someone who is deeply aware that Christ has delivered her from sin. And she loves because He loved her. And she lifts the loads of the weak and needy. She worries me. I worry about her because of this. She she carries the burdens of others. She served orphans in Africa for a couple years, but but I think what she's doing now is maybe even more striking. She is living a joy-filled Christian life focused on others in the midst of a spiritual community in 21st century America. I watch it. I observe it. She's spirit-filled. She is called to lift the loads of the weak and the needy, and she knows it, and she does it. I believe it's the grace of God in her life, and I believe it's meant to bring glory to God. I want to follow Megan's example as she follows Christ. I want to lift the loads of the weak and needy. Christ himself is our model. That's what Paul means when he says, fulfill the law of Christ. He is the pattern of love, right? This is not an appeal when he says, fulfill the law of Christ to a a new set of laws. He, Christ, is the one who gave himself for our sins. In chapter 2, Paul said, He's the one who loved me and gave himself for me. He, he is the model for what we read in verses 13 and 14 in chapter 5. He, he wrote there that the law has been fulfilled. And now here in verse 2, chapter 6, the law of Christ is fulfilled in every situation in love, believers bear each other's load. Second category, bear your own load. Carry your own burden. Carry your own burden. Verse 5, for each will have to bear his own load. Now, what does this mean? This is the basis for verse 4, let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone. Remember verse 1, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. The church, as we said, is not a community characterized by the absence of sin. And you and I are not individuals characterized by the absence of sin. We should restore, if we're spirit-filled, a fallen brother or sister in light of their sin, with an awareness of our own sinful tendency. This is, this is going to help us 
be aware that, as Thomas Schreiner says, today we are reinstating one who has sinned, but tomorrow we may need to be reinstated. It's humbling. It's supposed to meant, meant to have a humbling effect. Our own failures keep us from conceit, from thinking too highly of ourselves. We're vulnerable too. This will keep us from thinking we're something when we're nothing and being deceived, deluded. It'll help us overcome our tendency to pride. It is possible to deceive ourselves. It's actually likely and we need to be on guard against it. So Paul is returning now to this theme of pride. He's addressing pride and its effect, its devastating effect on a spiritual community. When people think too highly of themselves, they're not being led by the Spirit. When they're conceited, they're self-deceived. When they're gossiping, gossip and slander is just a way to promote ourselves, exalt ourselves. They're not keeping in step with the Spirit, and Paul says, carry your own burden. Test yourself. Don't be deceived. What is the fruit in your life? When we're not helping the others in their struggles, we are motivated by pride. And we think too highly of ourselves. It can, can, can also, verse 1, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Pride can make us feel like we're above temptation. We don't need to worry about temptation and sin. Now, we're wrong. We're deceived when we think like that. They were caught in sin. We can be caught in sin. Arrogance damages the community, cuts us off from other people. If we, if we are left to our own strength, we are no match for sin and evil. If we want to help others, we really need to be conscious of our own weakness. Our, our friend, who's now with the Lord, Jerry Bridges, used to come and and just encourage us with his gift of teaching. At his memorial service, he had an accountability partner. And he was just sharing. It was a powerful moment where he shared about his relationship over the years with Mr. Bridges, who was much more godly than us. And just a wonderful man who gave much glory to God, and we loved him dearly. And... In that memorial service, it, it was just a powerful moment where he, he was talking about how about Mr. Bridges' humility. He was very aware that he was a justified sinner. He was very aware of his failures, and he was very able to share them because he was transformed by the grace of God. And he wanted accountability because he knew his sinful tendencies. And this man played a recording from his phone that week. Mr. Bridges had called him and was confessing his sin to his accountability partner. Someone that he met with 
for fellowship regularly. And part of that fellowship was sharing his sin. And as you listened to Mr. Bridges share on that recording, you thought, he's in heaven now. And I want to be like that. Verse 4, let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not his neighbor. What he's getting at here is a future boasting that will be by the grace of God. One day when the Lord returns, you're going to receive a commendation. And it's going to be by the grace of God for the glory of God. And, and Paul's point is, you are going to carry your own load when the Lord returns. This is a, a future boasting he's talking about. It's a future tense. In, well, on that day, when the Lord returns, you will give an account for your life. And you will have confidence. You will boast before the Lord based on what He has done in your life. It's an amazing thing that when the Lord returns, those who are united to Christ by faith, those who have trusted in Christ and His finished work on the cross, those who have believed the gospel and received forgiveness of sins and an imputation, if you will, of His righteous life, declared righteous, justified sinners. On that day when the Lord returns, you will carry your own load. You will give an account for your life. And you will be commended because of Christ. All your sins will be forgiven. There, there will be no wrath to bear. Because He bore it for you. Test yourself. You will have boasting on that day. In, in chapter 6, look down and look ahead in verse 15. Neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Those who have been born again. You will carry your own load. You will be forgiven in Christ. Carry the load. Carry the load. Fulfill the law of Christ. Let's, let's live by the Spirit. Let's walk by the Spirit. Let's be a truly spiritual community. Let's overcome evil with goodness. Amen. Let's pray. Father, fill us afresh today with Your Spirit, we pray. Lord, have have mercy on us. Even as we study this text today, Lord, we're reminded that we have a heart that is deceitful above all things. So, Lord, we pray today, even as we return to singing, Lord, manifest Your presence and, and help us, Lord, so that we are able not to think we're something when we're nothing. Lord, let us test ourselves. Let us examine ourselves and cast our burden of sin to You to receive forgiveness and be cleansed today so that we can come by the grace of God to Your throne of grace and worship You 
and give you glory for this great gospel we've received. We ask that, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to a message given by Bill Kittrell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.